A kindergarten teacher uh, was walking around her classroom and all the kids were drawing pictures. And she went up to one of the children and she went up to Timmy's desk and Timmy was drawing a picture and she said, Timmy, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing a fire truck. And she looked and she said, oh, Timmy, that's a great fire truck that you're drawing. And then she walked over to Sally's desk and Sally was sitting there and she said, Sally, what are you drawing? And Sally said, well, I'm drawing a tiger. And she looked at it and she said, Sally, that's an amazing tiger. And then she walked over to Johnny's desk and Johnny was drawing a picture and she said, Johnny, what are you drawing? And Johnny said to his teacher, I'm drawing God. And the teacher paused for a moment and she said, Johnny, no one knows what God looks like. And of course, Johnny said in response, they will in a minute. (laughs) Let me ask you this morning, what does God look like? What does God look like? What is he like? That is a question that people have been trying to answer for a long time. That's a question that people have been asking ever since they started asking questions. What is God really like? And people have started to ask that question and you know they've come up with a lot of different conclusions, haven't they? Over the years, people have thought through, well, what is God like? And, and some have said, well, God is like an image, that God is like something made out of stone or out of wood. God is like that. And other people have said something quite different. God has said, they've said, no, God isn't like an image. He's not like something that you would make out of stone or out of wood. God is more like this impersonal life force, that God is like the Taoist idea of chi or like the idea of karma. He just is this sort of divine force that permeates everything and exists in everything. Other people have said, well, God is not just one deity. God is many deities. And whether that's the Greeks and the Romans who said, you know, there's many gods. The God is spread across many different deities and they're really a lot like us. They just have superpowers. Or whether it's more like the Hindu expression of God that's, that's hundreds of deities. Some people have included that there's not, concluded that there's not just one God. There are many gods. What do you think God looks like? The reality is, unless God speaks to us, unless God says something to us, we really can't know that much about who he is. We can know some things. We can look at some things around us, and we can know some things about God, but really at the end of the day, our knowledge is somewhat limited. It's kind of the same thing that happens with our knowledge of, say, like the dinosaurs, where we can know certain things, about the dinosaurs, but there's some things that we just cannot know. A couple of weeks ago, I was listening uh, to NPR, and there was a paleo artist on Science Friday, and I didn't even know that paleo artists exist. I did not realize that that was a career. This guy's name was Gabriel Unguarto, and his job was to be a paleo artist. Do you know what a paleo artist is? A paleo artist is someone who draws dinosaurs. And I thought to myself, well, this is great. My three-year-old son now has a career because if this takes off, he is going to be a great paleo artist. He loves it. And Gabriel was saying that when you look at dinosaurs, there are certain things we can know. We can find bones and we can piece them together and get an idea of what something might have looked like. But he also said, uh, no matter how much we walk into the museum and think we're looking at something real, uh, the reality is there are certain things we can't know and we'll never know. Like, what color were the dinosaurs? No one knows. 
What did their skin feel like? No one's really quite sure. What did they sound like? They might have had a ferocious roar, or maybe they didn't. We're not really sure. We just all saw Jurassic Park and thought it was true. And Gabriel has set out on this quest to draw real dinosaurs. Because the other thing that he said that I had never thought of before, I thought was quite interesting, is he said most of the time when we see a dinosaur, it's just skin laid over the bones. And no animal exists like that. There's things like fatty tissue and muscle and other things that sit between bone and skin in, in an animal's body. And so he's embarked on this quest to try and draw real-looking dinosaurs, but even he would admit he's still taking a guess. Because when we look at the world around us, there are certain things we can know, but then there are certain things we have to assume. And the same thing doesn't just happen in history. It also happens today in our world. For example, you and I can look at each other and we could know certain things about each other. I can look at you and I can know your eye color. I can know your hair color. But if I start assuming things about you, well, that's when I can get myself into trouble, right? I might assume that the shirt that you're wearing today is your favorite color. But I could assume that, but maybe the reality is you got up this morning and it was the only thing that was clean. Unless we start talking to each other, unless we reveal things to each other, unless I know you, unless you tell me about yourself, I can look at you and I can assume certain things, but I can't really know you unless you reveal things to me. The same is really true about God. You see, we can look at the world around us and we can know certain things about God. We can look at the world around us and look at ourselves and we can say, okay, all of us have an innate sense that our lives are to mean something, that we're here for a bigger purpose. Even all of the demonstrations that we see in our country, the things people rally around, I think that ultimately they come from this belief that our lives matter and that we should do something good with them. And there is this ultimate sense of, of purpose and justice and reason why we exist. And so we fight for that. And we might say to ourselves, you know, we think that whatever God is, we're not sure exactly what he looks like, but he's got to be a part of that force. That, that idea that we must exist for some sort of reason, that our lives are to mean more than just being here for a while and then being gone. It's got to be more than that. And so we might say God has to be a part of that force. And the other thing that we might say about God is that we might say that God is the creator. We might look at the world around us and look at how intricate it is. And we would say, if God exists, God must be an intelligent creator. God must be a brilliant designer. Listen, I would never think, I would never think, and I don't think you would either, that one day an Airbus factory could explode. And as the smoke cleared and the debris settled, sitting in the middle of the Airbus factory would be a fully working Boeing, Boeing 747. Now, I know, you say to me, but Airbus doesn't make the Boeing 747. I know they don't make the 40, 747. So think how improbable that would be, that the factory would explode, the Airbus factory would explode, and sitting there in the dust, clearing a Boeing 747 that works. Would you fly on that plane? I wouldn't. 
So why then would we believe that there was nothing and then somehow the only time it's ever happened, there was something. And then that something exploded with no one helping it. And we got things that are way more complicated than a Boeing 747, like human DNA and a human cell and the inner workings of your eye and your brain. We can look at all of that and we say to ourselves, something must have put this all together and that something is God. We might look at all of that and we would say to ourselves, you know, God then was first. God was before everything else. And God is the source of life. God is the source of everything that we see and where life exists, God had to put it into place then. And the other thing that we might look at our world and see and think about God is we might look at our world and say, okay, we have an innate sense of what is good and what is right. That everyone who lives, they just kind of know that, you know what, it's really not good to deceive people. It's not good to lie. And it's not good to take another person's life. No one really has to make a law about that. We know, don't we, that that's wrong. And so we might look at the world and look at ourselves and we would say, okay, God is this force that holds everything together. God is a creator. God is a source of life. But God is also uh, the, the thing that puts that inside of us, this moral compass, the idea of good and evil. That's not learned knowledge. It's something that we just have. We have that within ourselves. What is good and what is wrong, what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. Just the fact that we have that conscience and can determine that God must be in that somehow. So we can look at the world and conclude certain things about God, but the reality is if we just look at the world, look at ourselves, there's a whole lot we can never know. Why did God create? How are we supposed to relate to him? Is he the kind of God that cares when you go through something difficult? Or is he the kind of God that put everything into place, put it in motion, and now has nothing to do with it? What's the relationship between a God who we think should be a part of good and the reality that evil exists in this world? There are all sorts of things we can't know about God. And if we start assuming without listening to him, unless, and we start assuming without him revealing himself to us, well, just like when I start assuming things about you without talking to you, that's really when we get ourselves into trouble. Throughout the Bible, God reveals himself to his people. That's a big part of what's happening as you read through the text. And God does that primarily by by putting his presence with his people. So when Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, God's presence is there. And with Noah and Abraham and Moses, God speaks to them directly. God shows up in some way. His presence is with his people. And when his people leave slavery in Egypt and are wandering through the desert for four decades, God puts his presence with them, whether that's in a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire, whether that's in the Ark of the Covenant or in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And then once his people are settled, they build a temple and God puts his presence there. God reveals himself to his people and he does it by putting his presence among his people. This morning we're starting a new sermon series here at Mount Hope. 
And we're going to be walking through the book of John. And if you're not that familiar with the Bible, there's four books that talk about the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to focus our attention on the book of John. And John says something very particular, especially in his opening, about God putting his presence with his people. And in fact, this is a unique way. This is a new way. God's presence has been with his people before in the past, but now, John says, God is putting his presence with people in a brand new way. And this is how John says it. This is John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word that may stick out to you there when we read those verses is the word, word. It's kind of interesting how John uses it, isn't it? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What is John talking about there? Well, anytime you hear John use the word, word, he's talking about Jesus. But why would John use that phrase? That's not a phrase that we would use today. That's not a phrase we'd use in church necessarily. John was writing in Greek. New Testament was written primarily in Greek. And Greeks were into philosophy, as you may remember and you may know. And the Greek philosophers had this idea, this, this idea that there's, there was this, this sort of like force, this, this thing that permeated all of society in the universe that kind of held everything together. This thing that made sense of everything. That this, this force that kind of spoke to the meaning of why we exist and the purpose of why we're here. And John said to them, you know that force that you always think about and talk about? That thing that brings ultimate meaning to life, you say? that idea that there's a bigger purpose as to why we're all here, that logos that you speak of, that's Jesus, John says. And then John says something else to the people. He says, not only uh, is Jesus that ultimate force, that logos that you always think about and talk about, he says Jesus is also the creator. Jesus was there in the beginning. And everything that was made, everything that you see, was made in and through him. He was there in the beginning. 
And John also says this about Jesus. He says, Jesus is life. We talk about the source of life being from God. Well, John says, Jesus is life. That he has life in his hands, that he helped create life, and that he is the source of life. And then John says, Jesus is also the light who's come into the darkness. Jesus is good. Jesus is ultimate good that's come into ultimate darkness. And John basically says to the people in these first few verses that Jesus is God. That Jesus is 100% God in the flesh. That he is the one who was there at the beginning. He was before time began. Everything that was created was through him. He is what makes sense and brings meaning and purpose to everything that's in this world. He is the source of life and light. That Jesus in every sense is fully God in the flesh among us. And then he says something in verse 14 that's pretty amazing. He says, the, world be, the word became flesh. The logos became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, the word John uses, is the Greek word skenu. And if we were going to translate skenu literally, we would say, the word became flesh and set his tent up among us. The word became flesh that God became flesh and set up residence among us, pitched his tent in our neighborhood. I love what Eugene Peterson says in, the, in his paraphrase that's called the message. He says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's exactly what God did. Pitched his tent among us and lived among us. And what John is saying to you and to me and to the people right at the beginning of his book is you want to know what God looks like? You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh, in our neighborhood, coming to live among us. You want to know who God is? You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. And this is significant for two reasons. The first reason it's so significant is because Jesus becomes the ultimate revelation for us of who God is. There are two ways that God specifically reveals himself to his people. The first way that God does it is he does it through his word. That book that you hold in your hands that goes from Genesis to Revelation, that is God revealing himself to you and speaking to you. And the other way that God specifically reveals himself to us is he does it through Jesus Christ. He does it through through his son, who is both fully God and fully man, who pitches his tent in our neighborhood and comes to live among us that we might come to understand more who God is. And this is the way that John puts it in verse 18 of that same chapter. He says this. He says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's right hand, he, Jesus, has made him known. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. But it's not just revelation. It's not just the ultimate revelation. It is also the ultimate invitation. John is not just saying to us, hey, God became flesh and lived among us. Isn't that great? 
John is saying God became flesh and dwelt among us and he did it for a specific reason because not only is this just about God moving into your neighborhood, this is also about you moving God into your life. The question is not, did God come in the flesh? John's saying that happened. The big question that John has for the people and for you and for me is, are you willing to receive him into your life? Look at what he said again in the earlier verses in verse 10. He was in the world, that's Jesus, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so the question then becomes, not just did God come into our world, the big question for you and for me is, are you willing to receive him? This is both about revelation and it's about invitation because what John is saying is Jesus comes in flesh. He is God among us. He has life. He has light. And it is available to you if you will receive him. This is a big deal that we should never get tired of looking at. I know some of us have called ourselves Christians for a long time. Some of you have followed God for a long time. You've sat in churches for a long time. The reality that God has come and dwelt among us, that God came down in flesh and lived among us and revealed himself to us, that he would come and do that on our behalf. This is something that I don't care how long we've been Christians for. This is something we should never grow tired of thinking about and praying about and recognizing. This is something that we should never grow tired of looking at. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I want to go deeper. I'd like to go deeper in my knowledge. But this is a place where we can never go deep enough. You want to go deeper in your relationship with God? Then spend more time thinking through and experiencing the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The, the reality that God left heaven, came down to this earth because he loves you and cares about you. That he lived here and died here and was rose again. We will never get to the bottom of that. And some of us have gotten very cavalier about that, haven't we? It's something that we just know. Oh yeah, Jesus, God came down to this earth, lived among us. I know, I know, I know. Get to something interesting. Get to something deep. Get to something that, that matters. Tell me something I didn't read before in my Bible. If that's our attitude and all of us can fall into that, we need to take a fresh look at the reality of what God has done. This is what separates the Christian faith from every other belief system. Some people will say all religions are the same. It's simply not true. This is extremely different than anything else that's out there. In every other belief system, it is about us ascending to God. Is it about, it's about us chasing God. It's about us learning to become good enough and smart enough and moral enough to impress God enough that he lets us into his presence. Every other belief system is us offering the gods something so that they'll forgive us. It's about us being good people, getting enough uh, purple, you know, uh, gold stickers on our chart to, to X out all the bad things that we've done. And then if the good outweighs the bad, we make it into heaven. If it doesn't, we're in big trouble. This is the only belief system in which rather than us chasing God, God chases us. Rather than us having to be good enough for God to accept us, God accepts us first and then changes us to be the people he wants us to be. 
This is radically different than anything else that's out there. And we should not become bored by it. It should never become normal to us. It should always fill us with awe and worship as to who God is and what he has done for his creation. And some of you are sitting in the room before this morning and you've never accepted this before. This idea that, that Jesus is God, this idea that God moved into the neighborhood, this idea that Jesus came and, and did all these things so that we might be saved is something that you've never received before. I can't, we don't have time to explain it all this morning, but I'll tell you this. You want to experience true life and light in your life? This is the way to experience it. It's to not just understand the revelation, but to accept the invitation to begin a relationship with him. You see, proximity, proximity to somebody does not equate to relationship and knowledge of someone. Just because someone moves into the neighborhood doesn't mean you know them. I have a lot of neighbors. We have neighbors in our neighborhood, and some of them we know, and some of them we don't. It would be foolish for me to assume that the people that live across the street that we've never met or that live down the street that we've never met, that we know them just because our house is close to theirs. And in the same way you can know that Jesus came down to this earth, the same way you can know that Jesus moved into the neighborhood, but unless you receive that invitation and he is absolutely a part of your life, you'll never really get to know who God is. January 2007, at a metro stop in Washington, D.C., travelers were walking to the train, and it was rush hour, and they were trying to get to work and to school and wherever it is they were going. And a young man walked in, and he opened up a violin case, and he threw a couple of dollar bills and some change into the bottom of the case just to, you know, get the action going. And he pulled out his violin, and he started to play. He played classical music by Mozart, Vivaldi, and others. And people kept walking by, busy with life. 27 people stopped, threw money in the case, totaling $32. And here's what they didn't know. The person they were listening to is one of the world's most renowned violinists. That just three days earlier, he had sold out Boston Symphony Hall and the average ticket price, price was well over $100. And that the violin he was playing was a rare Stradivarius worth over $3 million. You can be close to someone, proximity-wise, have no idea who they are. It's not just about understanding this morning that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. It's not just this morning about understanding and having a knowledge that God came down to this earth. The question for you and for me is, have we received that? Is this truth actively a part of our daily lives? Does this affect how you live? Is the reality that there's a God who loves you enough to send his son down to this earth to live and die and be raised again? Does that affect the way that you live? Is there a daily relationship that's happening between you and this God who longs to know you and have you know him? Or is this just a bit of knowledge that you get close to, 
but never really do anything with. Our prayer today and over the next few weeks is that you will start to look at Jesus in a way that you never have before and that as you do, you will begin to see God in a way you never have before. That as you look at God in the flesh, you will begin to understand God as you never have before and more importantly, that you will receive the invitation to build that relationship with him and that for those of us who have called ourselves Christians for a long time where this has gotten kind of old and boring, that it would be renewed in your life. That once again, you would be thankful and excited and worship God because he did come down, because he did move into our neighborhood. He pitched his tent among us. We're going to look at Jesus over the next few weeks. And as we do, we're going to look at God and build that relationship with him. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. And as they do, I'd invite you just to close your eyes and bow your head for one moment. And let me just ask you this question. Maybe you're here this morning. You're here this morning in this reality that God has come down in the flesh and lived among us is something that you've heard before but you've never received before. I challenge you this morning to talk to God in your own heart and in your own mind And maybe you're at the place where you would say this morning that this is something that you want to receive. This is a relationship that you want to begin. And so you'd come before God and you'd say that, God, I'm sorry for who I am. I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to receive the truth that you became flesh, that you died on the cross for my sin, that you were raised again, that through you I can experience life and light, and I want to begin that relationship with you. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you're not at that place yet. But you would say, okay, God, over the next few weeks, I'm willing to look. I'm willing to look hard at who you are and what you've done. I'm willing not just to understand the revelation and the idea that you came down in flesh, but I'm willing to take a good, hard look at it and consider the invitation. Or maybe you're here this morning and you know that in your own heart and in your own life, there was a day and a time where the reality that God came down and lived on this earth filled you with such joy and filled your heart with such worship. But today, it's just kind of old hat. It's just Christmas again. The idea that Jesus came and was born in a manger and that he's God has just become old to you. Would today be a day that that, that faith and that relationship is renewed inside of you? That once again you'd be filled with joy and excitement over the reality that God loved you enough that he didn't just create this world and leave you on your own. He created this world and then he chased after you by coming down here and showing how much he loves you. Offering you grace and mercy at the cross. This morning we're going to close in just a moment. And we're going to sing this song. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. 
So often we close the service and it's all about us bringing our, our problems and bringing our challenges and bringing the things that we need. Today this is going to be about worship, about declaring who Jesus Christ is, about declaring how great he is and how wonderful he is and how powerful he is. And so some of our leaders will be up front at the front of the stage. And if you want someone to pray with you, then you are more than welcome to come and pray. But whether you come to the front to be prayed with by an elder, whether you come and kneel at these altars as we close our service, or whether you stand and worship in your seat, this is our opportunity to thank God for who he is. This is our opportunity to worship Jesus Christ for who he is. Not just a random person that moved into the neighborhood, but God himself who came to earth and lived and died that we might have a relationship with him. So will you worship him this morning? Will you honor him this morning in a way that you maybe haven't done in weeks or months or years? Would you worship God and thank him for his gift to you? God, we love you this morning. And we cannot say thank you enough for sending your son down to this earth. We cannot say thank you enough for not just bringing about revelation through Jesus Christ, but offering us an invitation through Jesus Christ. And the Lord, this morning we receive it. We receive that through him we have life and light and that we are called your children, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus Christ is. And so Lord, we worship you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name.